The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, hello, and thank you for watching. Uh, I just, uh, as we went into our, our, our roll-up, Mike counted down, he always uh, reminds us of what episode number it was, and he said 347, and it just hit me that that's a lot of episodes. I don't know if it's just the state of the world at the moment will but i just i feel so tired i'm so tired at the moment and just finding out that you know, like I, I was saying to jim today you know we've, we've been on the gold coast for a while and now we're in lockdown and the whole reason we came up here was so we could travel to avoid lockdown and now we're in another lockdown and i said i feel like i'm in one of those kind of like existentialist plays like no exit or something like that you know we're in a beautiful part of the world and stuff but sort of trapped <laughs> sort of just sort of just trapped and it feels like groundhog day and just when you think that there's going to be good news around the corner there's like another outbreak there's something else going on are you am i i don't think i'm alone in, in feeling this kind of malaise are you, are you you feeling it as well well as you know charlie i did something that i would not advise to people which was i drove into a lockdown <laughs> um fastest drive from the northern rivers of new south wales to sydney that i'd ever had took about an hour and a half less time than it normally takes that was partly because i was avoiding you know making many stops to you know have the risk of you know being infected by somebody but secondly there's that real sense of as you're driving into the apocalypse the traffic mm. is real light yeah there's not so many people driving towards the zombie apocalypse as there are people like fleeing it and yeah, look, I mean, it has been one of those things where I'm in a situation myself at the moment where I had to come to Sydney for work. You know, I've got a new television program. I can mention it now. I'm yep. so used to not mentioning it, but it's called Question Everything. It starts August 18th on the ABC. And I was talking to my manager, Kevin, today. He hadn't spoken to me for a few months and he just wanted to have a bit of a check-in to see how I was going. And I said, it is such a, like, I know people say surreal all the time, but it is a surreal feeling to drive into somewhere that is in a lockdown and then pretend that making a, tele a comedy television show is somehow an essential service that means you are one of the lucky people who can still go into work. But I'm also making this show in this environment where, you know, we were obviously going to have guests from all over the country. We we're going to have a live studio audience. All those things are not things that we can do in the middle of a lockdown. So you go and make this pretend television show that's what it feels like it feels mm. like we've all just decided we are working on this project but it doesn't feel real in any way none of the team have ever been in the same room like we've had our entire team working on the show for a month now we've never ever all of us been in the same room and it is and then i just come back to my house where i am alone and it turns out there is too much afl football you can watch <laughs> like <laughs> Probably, I mean, this week on our other fucking podcast, it might be the first time ever where I'm like, no, I've watched 25 shows about football in the last week. I need to talk about football. 
Well, it's weird because I've been trying to find, you know, things to distract me. I did the um, Instagram Live last Friday, which went really well. People seem to enjoy it. So, you know, that's potentially something that we can do again. But one of the questions was like, um, you know, what have you watched? What have you been reading? There's a couple of questions about that kind of stuff. And firstly, like... I couldn't remember anything. Like, and I have been reading a lot this year. We've talked about the Kindle. It's sort of, you know, changed my reading habits again. And, and I have been watching stuff, but, but nothing's absorbing. And, and then I, I, I was like, I remember sort of finishing the Instagram live and I was like, I think I went on a bit of a, a, like a rant at the end. And I just wanted to go back and double check. And I was right because someone asked me about the Robert Pattinson Batman. Like, am I looking forward to it? And I go on this fucking tear about superhero films and Batman and how I don't give a shit. I got very Dave Anthony on this thing. And the, and the truth is, like, I'm not that angry. I don't really care. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious, but I'm, I'm not, not that fascinated. But I think it is more symptomatic of, of, this this kind of weird state that we're all in where there's this kind of I, f- I feel like I'm, in, I'm waiting for something to change like I'm waiting for something to shift for the clouds to lift for the happy ending that that is not coming and so it's just nothing tastes good nothing entertains nothing feels good it's is this is this depression <laughs> well, this is we are living in an M. Night Shyamalan film we are mm. living in old Basically, it may be, he may be the greatest filmmaker of all time because I assume you've seen the trailer for Old, the new new M. Night Shyamalan film. I I haven't, but I've gathered what it's about. And I've seen enough. You're familiar with the... Okay. Yeah. Whatever you gathered, it's about. A beach that makes you old. (laughs) I mean, that seems to be most of it, to be honest. And the big mystery is, what's going on, I suppose? (laughs) 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 here's my movie (laughs) it's an hour and a half some people are on a beach and then suddenly the people start getting old on the beach and the plot is what the fuck's going on yeah mystery box it's a mystery box i mean he's the he's the uh, one of the pioneers of the modern mystery box right pre jj abrams a puzzle box he's the guy what's all this always calls it his magic hat his magic yeah. ideas hat. She goes, yeah. any show that smells like it's got more than one idea like wrapped into it, she's like, has J.J. Abrams got something to do with this? <laughs> he's got out his mystery ideas hat and he's just pulled some shit out and he's gone, let's make that. So and tell me, why, world, why, why are we I think it old? feels like we're getting old. Like I feel like right. there was a woman who got crucified on social media the other day and she made this kind of tone-deaf post and I read an article by her today sort of explaining what it is that she was trying to get at and I have some empathy for her I still think her post was tone-deaf oh was this the the girl who talked about I can't have kids like this lockdown means that you know I'm missing out on a chance to have a baby or something like that that lady and my problem with the tweet wasn't her perspective my problem with the tweet was it came across like we shouldn't have a lockdown because of that set of circumstances rather than I think more broadly what I think with kindness we could interpret it as is that we are all missing out on things yes. there are all things that we wanted to do and big significant chunks of our lives that now that this thing has gone on for 18 months and looks like it's going to be a couple of years really before you know minimum before we get back to any sort of normality it, then like that is a long time that's a long time mm. in people's lives to miss out on going to their job or seeing their friends or pursuing their hobby or in the case of this woman, like maybe meeting somebody and having a baby. And 
I, I actually think that at the heart of what she was saying, she was just reflecting that we're all... But the, the tweet itself came across as if she had no sympathy or empathy for those who are on the front line and those who are in the hospitals and those who are getting sick because of her personal selfish needs. But I think that as human beings, we're allowed to acknowledge there's only so long that it feels okay to just put all your personal things aside in the service of the greater good. It's the right thing to do. And mm. I think every day I try to do it the best that I can and remind myself that it is the right thing to do. But I have some empathy with the idea that there becomes a point where that idea that you're sacrificing something for the greater good just becomes like, yeah, but my life's shit. Like I feel for these people who've mm. yeah, lost their entire, like I, I walk past restaurants that, you know, have shut down completely. They've gutted yeah. the place. It's going to be a new business. And you, you think that restaurant was some family's business for a whole bunch of years. And, um, you know, <clears throat> there's one in particular I'm thinking of that's right next to uh, um, the the, uh, the supermarket that I go to. And I have wandered past that restaurant for about 15 years and never gone in because it just looked completely unappealing to me. But it was always quite a running joke and a mystery to me that this restaurant that looked so unappealing was like a stalwart of the neighborhood. Like it had been there for 15 years. So it clearly had a loyal clientele and like, you know, they served a certain niche of the market. That's your M. Night Shyamalan movie is what's going on in this restaurant? <laughs> like you just you could just call it Dine In. It's a nice and enigmatic title. Like what is going on in this goddamn – and then you find out that they serve um, like eternal life. That's what's on the menu. That's how, that's how they, they, they keep getting customers through the door. Well, I feel like it was the sort of restaurant that, you know, when they interview old people, like, you're the oldest person in Australia. What's the secret to your long life? And they're like, I only snort chicken livers, like, yeah. every morning at 10 o'clock. One glass of wine and a cigarette <laughs> every night. <laughs> and then I snort 16 chicken <laughs> That was their menu. Like, the right. little chalkboard outside this restaurant would always have awful on it. Like, at least one of the dishes, if not all of the dishes, would contain awful. Like, it really felt like the restaurant at the end of the world. All of our menus contain some form of animal torture. <laughs> we like to take an animal, force feed it something, and then kill it. The, the food is awful. Awful? I don't know, but definitely awful. <laughs> and so it shut down. Yeah, well, but I, my point being that so many people's things have shut down, so many people's dreams have shut down, that... Yeah, obviously we're seeing what's happening overseas, which is that people have been vaccinated and people are back out and about. Like I was watching 150,000 people at Lollapalooza. But are they? But, the, but I, I, I get confused, but aren't the numbers also going up? Like I, I get confused by what I'm seeing overseas because I understand some places are opening up, but in the States they're, you know, bringing in mandatory masks again and, they're, and like uh, hospital admissions are going up. Is that just amongst unvaccinated people or is that across the board no right. no but this is my point i think for a while i was like yeah. our vaccination will sort it all out we'll get to a point where we're all vaccinated enough and we'll be able to just like go back to normal life but clearly that is not the case in the places that have opened up you're still having incredible high rates of this disease the disease is still mutating like yes people who are vaccinated have a much better chance of having you know less severe symptoms and you know like you know there's there's mm. great benefits to being vaccinated but it's not a magic bullet in any scenario and that's what you're seeing played out overseas is the idea that we are going to be living with this in some form yeah. for years to come like i just don't think there's any way that that cannot be 
the fucking case. And just before we move off Lollapalooza, <laughs> did you yeah, see Fred Durst? Look. Have you seen what Fred Durst looks like? <laughs> I, I don't know who posted yeah. it, but I retweeted it the other day, which was the prophecy is complete. He's finally come become one of the guys from the Beastie Boys <laughs> film clip. You would not, like if someone had shown you that photo uh, and not told you who it was, in a million years could you have guessed? Maybe in a million years, just based on the, if you get enough monkeys in a room with enough typewriters theory. But <laughs> so you just named every person you could think of. <laughs> Ever, that you've ever known. (laughs) Finally. I'm just like, is it Fred Durst? You're like, yes. And this is like only 900,000 years. So you have nailed this. Um, Podcast, Mark, if you can find that photo and perhaps the story behind it, because I'm not uh, aware of what this new phase of Fred Durst is about. I am aware that he sort of moved into filmmaking a while back and hilariously he made – he made a film with John Travolta about an obsessive fan. I can't remember what it's called. It might just be called Fan, um, where John Travolta plays like a, um, a, a, a mentally challenged obsessive fan. And there's a couple of scenes in it that I've seen on YouTube where characters are driving whatever and the music in the background just happens to be Limp Biscuit. And I think there's even a scene where the dad's talking, you know, the, the dad who's our age is talking to his teenage son and he's like, hey, do you want to listen to some cool music? Oh, Limp Biscuit, huh? It rocks pretty hard. <laughs> it's like, oh, Fred Dest is directing and this is, the, this is the only band you could license the music from. The actual photo is... It honestly does, like, I don't know, actually, if I did have a million years, whether I could guess who that was. I would be like, is it Doug Benson? Is it, and like, Adam Sandler? It could be some sort of comedy character. Is it, like, Paul Rudd dressed as an old man for some sort of, like, Will Ferrell movie? Yeah, I can see where you're pulling all those references from, too, because he's definitely got the... um uh, Nathaniel Hornblower kind of mustache and stuff, but he's wearing Paul Rudd's jacket from Anchorman. So you just sort of, you, you, I can see where you're pulling all your references from. But it is like, what's going on? Like, is there a story behind this change? Have Limp Bizkit reformed recently or something? I mean, I think Fred Durst was playing at Lollapalooza. Okay, I'm just going to Google Fred Durst and was see he, what comes would, up. Uh, in the news segment. Well, this is appropriate, Will, because one of the questions um, that was asked during the uh, the Instagram Live uh, was the uh, story of how we met. And so I recounted that story, which is detailed in a great comic strip by James Fosdyke uh, at patreon.com slash tofop. Uh, but I mentioned how you once slandered me because the, the night we met, I was wearing a red beanie and I heard I overheard you talking to someone and referring to me as a Fred, as Fred Durst. <laughs> And I don't think it was a compliment. I think the, the, I think the sentence might have been, who brought Fred Durst? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it made me just want to break stuff, that sentence. You know that I don't normally recommend us going to the Daily Mail. We should not support what the Daily Mail are doing. It's a terrible organisation. But when we're going to areas like this, you don't want to read any other, other article other than what the Daily Mail have had to say about it. So that's where I found myself. Um, This is the headline on the Daily Mail. Famously on the Daily Mail, the headlines are basically the entire story just summarised into a headline. So this is the headline. In quotes, looks like he's on undercover boss, colon, (laughs) limp biscuit frontman Fred Durst shocks fans at Lollapalooza as he takes to the stage with silver hair. Of all the wild Mm. performances at Lollapalooza on Saturday, perhaps none got fans talking more than that 
of Limp Biscuits. The band's frontman, Fred Durst, 50. Oh my God, he's 50. I'm 47. I'm nearly 48. I don't look that bad, do I? (laughs) Imagine if, like, I started hosting this new show and no one's seen me on fucking TV for six months and I rock into the fucking TV studio and I've got the old fucking George Negus look from fucking Four Corners. (laughs) Like... I reckon, I reckon, I mean, I've never seen you with a beard. I've seen you with like sort of scruffy bum fluff, but have you ever tried to go like- I can't really. More beard or- I don't really, I can't, no, okay. I, don't, I don't have the hair growing capability on my face to pull off <laughs> what Fred Durst is pulling off. Um, okay, Fred Durst 50 took the stage with the iconic 90s new metal group rocking a full head of silver hair, which many purported was a wig or an intentionally bad toupee and a handlebar mustache. Yeah, because I thought he was bald. That was that was the thing that was sort of threw me. Is I always thought he was balding or bald. Uh, the new look sparked a wave of wildly specific comparisons on Twitter, which mentioned everything from a star <laughs> on the show, undercover boss, to a former high school basketball coach who now drinks coffee alone at six thirty every morning at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, Durst has purged his Instagram of all images except three with the shaggy silver hairdo and handlebar mustache, which left some to think it was all an act being largely out of the spotlight. Continue to ride that wave, Durst, whose Twitter bio reads, You're confused? Classic. Oh my God. Oh no. Oh my God. <laughs> Did just that as he took the stage. Brand new look, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, let's see if there's anything uh, else about it. No, nah, it's just, as usual, the Daily Mail article is just a collection of things that people said on Twitter. Yeah, I, he's had a remarkable ability his entire career to just be unlikable, hasn't he, Fred Durst? I mean, do you think that kids now, like, what are they? What, what's the the... What's the, the, the the teenagers to early 20s, what are they called these days? Zillennials? Gen Z? Zoomers? Zoomers. Do you think they would know what a Limp biscuit is? If, if you asked a Zoomer who's Fred Durst, would a Zoomer know who Fred Durst was? Well, who was bigger, Fred Durst or Limp biscuit, or is it one and the same? I, th- I, I find it hard that you to believe that you would have heard of Fred Durst and not heard of Limp biscuit. And it's almost more impossible to believe that you've heard of Limp Biscuit, but you are not aware of Fred Durst. Yeah, well, and they were kind of like the new. They were the. Would you say they were the epitome of, epitome of new metal? That was like yeah, they were absolutely. the peak of new metal. Absolutely, they were. Yeah, they were the the biggest and worst example of the horrific genre <laughs> that was new metal. <laughs> and then you had like Twenty Eight Days, who were kind of like Limp Biscuit, but Australia's version of of of, of Limp Biscuit. Would you would you would you think that's a fair comparison? I would say that is a fair comparison. Yeah, <laughs> um, Limp Biscuit made wrestling m- music, like they made sports promo music. They yeah, made yeah, stuff right. that it was really good to hear a Limp Biscuit song while you were watching a compilation of the best dunks from the All Stars match at the NBA. Yeah, well, wasn't it the Undertaker's? That was his entrance music yeah. for a while, was like rolling. And that's, but that's all their music. Like all their music would have been better if a wrestler came out while that, like a Limp Biscuit live show at Lollapalooza, they should have had like a wrestling ring. In, well, in the middle of the mosh pit for social distancing, you know, now they have to have like only a minimum amount of people. So the best way to spread out the crowd mm. is you put a wrestling ring 
kind of down like you know so you have the first mosh pit then you have a wrestling ring and they have wrestling going while Limp Bizkit play that's the best Limp Bizkit no, show I think no you're missing the point though you just said that it is good for highlights so you don't have a wrestling ring you just play wrestling highlights that's when it's good that's when you that's when you can play your Creed your Limp Bizkit your uh, uh, Puddle of Dirt or whatever they call Puddle of Mud like any of those kind of new metal bands they were great for wrestling highlights I actually think see, this like, is not a bad idea you just get those bands that are the sort of bands that they use for wrestling highlights and on the big screens behind them, instead of like projecting the band, you just project wrestling highlights. Wrestling highlights. I mean, you know well, that you a know. lot of people go to wrestling. I think that is like a market you could absolutely tap into because <laughs> if you said to wrestling fans who are willing to go out to the wrestling that you can also go to like a Limp Bizkit show and like Puddle of Mud are going to support them and on the big <laughs> screens, the biggest big screens you've ever seen, we're going to get the one you two used on their last tour where they had to have a specific plane to get it around the world and we're just going to play the best wrestling highlights of all time. Well, that is, you know, people will go to see, uh, you know, Star Wars with the, you know, London's London Orchestra. Like, I think this weekend, the Hollywood Bowl, they played the Princess Bride with a full orchestra. So I would definitely go to see that. But I think... Limp Biscuit play play WrestleMania 25. They just play WrestleMania and Limp Biscuit do a live score. The best bit about wrestling pay-per-views is often not the matches, is when they do the recap of like the build-up to what you're about to see. Like I often will not actually watch the match. I'll just watch all the recap because that's the best stuff. So if you're telling me that, you know, WrestleMania, let's do the last like 20, 20, last 15 years of WrestleMania, we're going to take the best promos, the best promos and build-ups and highlights packages and we're going to cut them all together and then you can go see Limp Biscuit and Puddle of Dirt. I keep calling Puddle of Dirt, which is, that's an oxymoron, right? Can you have a Puddle of Dirt? Well, they used to, well, I mean, a Puddle of Mud is a Puddle of Dirt. It's just wet dirt, yeah, isn't I guess it, so. at the end of the day? Well, Wet Dirt is my new new metal band. <laughs> you heard of Wet Dirt? They're fantastic. So Wet Dirt are supporting Puddle of Mud who are supporting Limp Biscuit. How about this? If the promos and stuff are the best bits, but you need to have some, something playing in the background, obviously while Limp Biscuit plays. So that's when you play your wrestling like highlights of the actual wrestling is when Limp Biscuit are playing and singing their song. But you get the wrestlers to come out on stage in between songs and kind of cut live promos. So you can go to this gig oh, and you'll actually see awesome. like the wrestlers come out, they do the little like promo segment, then Limp Bizkit does a song and there's like the wrestling match on the big screen. So what you're arguing is let's basically a wrestling event, but with no actual wrestling. Right. And I actually think that's kind of genius because that is some of the best stuff. Like, like I said, I often will skip past the actual matches and just get to the promos or get to the highlights packages or the storylines. Yeah, but the... I don't like Limp Biscuit enough to see Limp Biscuit, and I don't like wrestling, uh, you know, packages enough to go to a stadium and watch them on a big screen. But you combine the two, suddenly you've got an offer that I can't refuse. <laughs> I think was it uh, South Park did a spoof of WWE wrestling where they treated it like high theatre, where people would go to watch it in the round and stuff, and like Vince McMahon would be, you know, sitting in a box and stuff, watching through binoculars, and the kids would just do, they wouldn't do the actual wrestling. They would just do the kind of like the storyline part of it. And I think that that's actually, there's something to it. I've been watching these on SBS. Um, they have these A&E WWE legends biographies. They've, I think they've done five episodes now. And it's Stone Cold, which is a great one. Uh, Randy Savage, uh, Roddy Piper, Booker T, Ultimate Warrior, Shawn Michaels. And I watched the, the Roddy Piper one, which is fantastic. But 
that dude's like life was so rough like the the shit he went through and i don't think they really delved deeply into it they used a lot of coded language to talk about what his childhood was like but it's fair to say he probably came from a pretty abusive household and lived on the streets for a while and he was a, a genuine like bad guy when he got into wrestling but they sort of talk about you know when he kind of realized his talent all this kind of you know, he, he'd been committing robberies and, you know, running with a really bad crowd and living this really rough life. And then when he found wrestling, he realized, well, all this kind of like evil and all this shit that to- was tormenting him, he can channel it into being a bad guy. And that's like an actual, people pay money to see him just be a reprehensible individual. It's like, you know what, I, no, I can he- monetize this trauma. <laughs> I can yeah, make this 100%, work for me. But- well, his daughter tells this story about how um, when he first went to Hollywood and he was living there and, you know, his family were living on some farm somewhere and he brought his teenage daughter to Hollywood and her friends are all excited for her because she's going to go, you know, you know, the Hollywood Walk of Fame and see all the like stars houses and stuff. And Roddy picked her up from the airport and just drove her around like the worst parts of LA and was saying like, I saw a woman stabbed there. You know? And then, yeah, I slept under that bridge. And then and she got this like horror tour of Los Angeles. And by the time she went back to see her friends in high school, she was like, I don't think Hollywood's a very nice place. Yeah, you, you want to see like one of the stars on the Walk of Fame? That's cool. Because that's actually my pillow. That's where I sleep on the street. <laughs> but this, he, he, he tells this story about... Um, well, one of the other wrestlers tells a story about uh, seeing him like at a outside of wrestling, like or backstage at a wrestling show, having this like really heated conversation with this guy, and it gets kind of you know this pushing and shoving, and then the police come in and they sort of separate them, and this guy is not meant to be backstage, and so they're arresting him, and they're saying to Roddy, "Look, it's, uh, we're going to take him down to the station. Do you want, can we get a statement from you?" And Roddy's like, "Well, I just wanted a couple more minutes with him." And the cop was like, "Why?" And Roddy takes his hand away from his chest, and the guy has stabbed him in the heart and blood, <laughs> like he's he's splurting out of his chest with every pump of his heart. And apparently, like in his life, he was stabbed three times by fans who just couldn't get past the gimmick. Actually, thought he was this like really bad guy. And in my head, I was like, "So imagine." finding a way out of this horrible life that you've lived, you know, this horrible upbringing you've had and living on the streets and stuff. And you find this thing that you're really good at and you make a lot of money from it and you get really famous. But the downside is you are the most hated person in America, if not the world. Like he talked about how the reason he moved his family to a farm is because he didn't want people to know his kids were the sound, the sons of Rowdy, sons of Rowdy Roddy Piper. And then you just, in your head, you're like, well, is that a is that a deal you'd take? Like, sure, you you got to make a lot of money, and you know you can provide for your family and stuff. And there is some, I imagine, some thrill to being like famous and you know doing WrestleManias and talk shows, and he got a movie career and all this kind of stuff. But the downside is, he had to wear a Kevlar lined leather jacket as part of his wrestling costume in case people tried to stab him again. I mean, is, it, is it something that you would it, like is that is that a trade firstly we should not live in a world where that is a choice that you have to make it's the first <laughs> thing that i would like to say on the record just so it's fucking clear you should be able to play a villain in the fucking wrestling and not get stabbed you know for your effort like i don't so i don't think that you should have to make that choice it's kind of sad <laughs> that he has had to make that choice i think you'd still roll the dice that that's a better life than like if you're living on the street, you come from this like abusive family, 
life isn't going to do you a whole lot of favors. It's not going to be easy. And you, if you have the opportunity to have something that gives you at least a shot at having a better life, then I think you've got to fucking roll the dice on it. Like if, if you said to me, like you can continue your life the way that your life is going at the moment, or like, as you said, you can be one of the most famous people on the planet. You'll be a bad boy. People will hate you. But your family won't hate you. you like your friends won't hate you. They'll know that you know, and it will give you a life. Even a, it'll give you the capacity to even escape that life. You know, when it's over, you'll be able to go and live on a farm and be away from it all and be comfortable and all those sort of things. You are mm. gonna get stabbed three or four times. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like, you know what? I might just start wearing that Kevlar vest now. <laughs> if you got a Kevlar vest, I might just whack it on just right now. I mean, it is such a bizarre career that that of a professional wrestler. Like the Rock has kind of put a real shine yeah, on it and made it now. seem like it's different He's now. He's changed but, the but, game. But even so, like these dudes are getting into a profession where. A, they're going to finish with like horrific car crash style injuries, broken bones and, you know, pop knees and shoulders and all that kind of stuff. But also they're doing all this stuff. They're putting their bodies on the line and getting absolutely no respect for it. Like everyone's like, ah, that's fake. It's not even a real sport. You know, it's not even real fighting. And it's like, yeah, but I'm still having to go to hospital and get like, you know, my teeth fixed and my back fixed and my, my knees fixed. It's, it's such a strength. The, the fact that anyone would think to go into that as a profession, especially in the States where there's like no health insurance. And I think the WWE don't even guarantee health insurance for their employees. John Oliver did a big story about it where it's like they do take care of some of their, their, um, uh, some of their wrestlers, but they're treated as individual contractors, not employees. Yeah, which like for the business, of course. Like, I mean, if you are in the business of, like breaking people for, you know, the purposes of entertaining people, then that's exactly mm. the contract you want. But it's not a great deal for the people who are signing up up for it, particularly when it's the only game in town. Well, it's not it's 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 not anymore. AEW is is the new game in town and they are doing every, well, everything completely differently and they are offering health insurance to their wrestlers. Right. So there you go. So so that's what hopefully happens, you know? That's actually an example of like when something is so bad that another thing comes along and says, well, we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to actually treat you well. And people go, that's more appealing <laughs> that I'm <laughs> of the two options I have in front of me. But like, you know, Tom Cruise does his own stunts in movies and sometimes hurts himself really badly and is celebrated for it. These are just stunt men yeah. and women. Like, you know, these are, that's what they are. They're people who do professional stunts and like professional stunts take a toll on you know your body that's literally what we're asking them to do we're going for our entertainment mm. could you please do something that will absolutely fuck up the last 30 <laughs> years of your life if you're lucky <laughs> like we are like with so many things like yeah. i even think that with the olympics and you know yeah. with you know football and all the other sports where you like we all understand that when, yeah, these players, like, you know, do their knees or their shoulders or these sort of things, like, we're like, yeah, they'll be back. At the, it'll take them 12 months of rehab and they'll get back to play football and then they might hurt themselves again or do something else. Like, there's dudes who can't walk, you know, remember stuff anymore. There's dudes, there's, most of them can't walk. Mm. Like they certainly can't, you know, like, they have to have a series of operations for the rest of your life. Like, 
that is part of it. Yeah. You can't sign up to one of those things without going, this is part of the agreement. And I don't think we... In, it's like sending the soldiers to war. Yeah. We're very... You, you should spend as much fucking money on looking after them when they come back as you do sending them to war in the first place. But that is not how we prioritise things. But it's also... There's, there's also that feeling of invincibility you have when you're in your 20s like i can understand why a young athlete would just be desperate to you know be signed yeah. by a club or to you know go you to the, go to the olympics or i'll do everything i'll do yeah. it because you have uh, no there's no way for you to project into the future and go well actually you know when i'm in my mid 40s and my hips don't work or you know whatever it is that you're gonna it's it's gonna be this thing that life is long and then you're gonna be dealing with this whole range of other issues and i think statistically they talk about you know in terms of elite athletes no matter what the code is like it's the tiny tiny percentage make enough money that they can live off or make it in the first place you know and then beyond that like but also it's i mean and again this is not an original observation in any way and also it is not meant to be dismissive because I think things like the Olympics are important because we just decide it's important. Yeah. As a world, we've decided. But the actual skill set that Olympians spend so much time and money perfecting is absolutely fucking useless. Like to the world in general, like it does not matter if you can swim 200 metres 0.01 seconds faster than somebody else in any situation that went down where we needed people to swim fast any of the girls who make the finals would be absolutely fine for yeah. us to nominate for the task that we have in hand like for the purposes of the sport yes absolutely and it's like wonderful to see somebody try to perfect something and but i watched the 100 meters and there's an australian kid called uh rowan browning i think yeah. is his name and He's 23 years old and he runs like the fucking wind and in a sport that has been traditionally not dominated by like white dudes from Australia, like it's just really interesting to see him there because he looks like an old school runner. But if you want to be the fastest 100 meter runner in the world, maybe Usain Bolt changed it a bit. But before that, that was almost signing up to a lifetime of doing things to your body that would haunt you for the rest of your fucking life. And for what, really? I mean, it doesn't really matter who can run 100 metres the fastest. Like, once we got on the back of a horse, Charlie, to come back to a pre-existing theme. <laughs> or a cow. There were some people who picked cows, Will. <laughs> even a cow. Or even a cow. From the minute that happened, it didn't matter who could run 100 metres the fastest. Like, I've got a car. Who gives a shit how fast you run 1,500 metres? It's just an irrelevant thing to our society. But... For these people, they dedicate their entire life to the pursuit of that thing. And then, like, it, the difference between the person who manages to do it the best on the day, who gets celebrated for it, and the other person who was like, still did it fucking, like, better than everyone in the world apart from five <laughs> other people. <laughs> like, do you mean? Like, that's yeah, I'm still in the top pretty five good. in the world. If you told me you were fifth best in the world at anything, I would be so fucking impressed by that. And yet... In it, I mean, yeah, it's fucking cruel. And then pay for it for the rest of your life. Have you seen any of The Young Rock? Uh, I watched the first episode. Right. So I've watched quite a few and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Like, I think, I think it's fun. It's very light and very fluffy, but um, it's definitely a test run for a, a genuine presidential run. Like, that is the conceit of the show is it's set in 2032 and The Rock is campaigning to be president of the United States. But 
he keeps weaving all these. Like I think it's episode four. He literally does. The Rocky is like it's from the first episode because like I haven't got back to it yet, yeah. but I am keen to watch it again. But this was also ab- absolutely my impression of this show. Yeah, like I don't think we're alone in thinking. No, this, well but- he's not. I mean, he's putting it on Front Street. It's not like he's being subtle. But what I love is he's literally just made a TV show that is the equivalent of like a dude joking about having a threesome with his partner. <laughs> Like, if he just, like, says it's a joke, we just, like, talk about it a bit. Like, so, you know what? Actually, maybe this isn't the worst idea. You know? Yeah. That's what it feels like. Well, wait. If you think he's just making a joke, wait till you get to episode four. That's when he's like, you know your friend Susan's. I've always thought she's really hot. I mean, I'm just saying, maybe we should just invite her around for dinner sometime. Yeah. It's, I mean, what a amazing, I mean, again, it's not like this is not material that hasn't been previously covered on this show. But, like, what he has done in the self-mythologizing mm. of, you know, the create, Like, I mean, he's taken he- everything that he learned from wrestling and applied it to the real world. He's just basically wrestlified, like, I, I th- entertainment. I think he genuinely believes it. Like, this is the thing, because uh, every episode is essentially, it's structured around, this is a lesson I learned from blah, 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 blah. And, like, I, I've seen... So, what a perfect, what a perfect way... To tell your story to like a huge group of people, like admit things that you've got wrong and what you've learned from them. Like literally laying out an absolute platform for somebody who, like if you wrote this in a book, if you went, we were going to turn this wrestler into like the biggest star in the world and then into the president and this is how we're going to do it, you'd be like, nah, people would never buy that propaganda. <laughs> well, it's nominated for an Emmy, I think, Young Rock, like Best Comedy or, or something like yeah. that. Let's give it some awards. But there, there is so much earnestness in the way he talks about this stuff. Like, and I've seen interviews with him as well, and like he, like when he did that, when he did that um, Black Lives Matter address and, you know, when he backed Joe Biden and stuff, and he really does this kind of earnest like heart in his sleeve kind of this is i i've got my convictions like this and and i was like it's it's so american and it's so weird and i really like him but that stuff i've always found it sort of turns me off a bit like how can you be so how can you be so sure of yourself how can you be so convinced and then well because he is self-made that <laughs> he is the american yes like he is American exceptionalism. Well, this is what I was going to say. So the, there's an episode, and it's not a, really a spoiler because this is his life story and everyone knows, you know, how he got into wrestling and all that kind of stuff. But this episode, the episode we watched the other night, and, you know, like Jim's, in, Jim's enjoying it as me, but we both are a bit kind of like, yeah, it's a bit saccharine in, in, in parts and all that kind of stuff. And this was one of those heavily saccharine episodes, which is all about, you know, him wanting to get into the NFL. You know, he was uh, got a football scholarship right. and... And basically the message of the episode is that, you know, he worked his ass off like he did extra sessions over summer and everyone could see his work ethic and, you know, he was, you know, doing everything right, but he just wasn't good enough. He just was not getting into the starting lineup. He'd get minutes here and there, but he just wasn't good enough. And the lesson is that, you know, hard work isn't always rewarded. Like you aren't entitled to anything. You don't deserve a place even if you've put the work in sometimes you just don't get what you want but that is not the reason to stop working and it really hit me like it really affected me because i'm like because i often get into that mindset of like you know i've worked i've worked on projects for years 
that have not got up. And I've gotten like, God damn it, like that's not fair. I've put all this work into it. How come you know this hasn't been recognized? That there's no where is the cosmic justice in this? And then The Rock was the one who explained it to me. <laughs> Because and now you're a Republican. <laughs> now I'm a Republican. <laughs> but it was just that, it was just this. And that's why I was like, oh, that's why he has such self belief, is because, you know, he obviously has gone through, you know, obstacles and, and you know, how, what, however fictionalized or mythologized this story is, if you take that as being true, and, you know, he didn't get into the NFL, that was his first dream, but then you saw what he became. I would think that, oh, yeah, okay, cool. So I, my work ethic has to be that times 10. Oh, it's the perfect American story, right? Because this is the whole idea of America. Like, we're not going to tax the billionaires because guess what? You could be one of those billionaires. Yeah. Like, one day that could be you and you don't want to be taxed. Like, you've worked really hard to get to where you were. And so they sell this idea that somehow there's something like, yes, it worked out for the fucking rock. Like, no, he's the best ad for the product because absolutely for him it did work out. Mm. But that's like me saying, you know, sh- like pointing to things that have worked out in my life and saying, well, it should be as easy for everybody else as it was for me yeah. or you're not as good as me. But that's absolutely just not the case. Like sometimes it's about luck and circumstance and timing and, you know, other obstacles that are not in your way and people that are in your corner. And like, you know, it's not a... It's a very easy story for him to tell because he's become super sick. Yeah, but also, and I, I'm going to be interested in how they address this. It wasn't like he didn't have some nepotism in his career. Right. He's the son of a wrestler. Well, the son yeah, and, and a grandson, grandson yeah. of a very famous right. wrestler. And that was the, how they marketed him yeah. when he got into the WWE. He's from a wrestling family. He's the third this generation. pre-established wealth. This is an inherit, <laughs> yeah. third yeah. generation inherited wrestling wealth. So, I mean, he definitely did get a leg, he, leg he's up. He's the Baltazar Getty of the wrestling world. No, he is the guy. He's that story they write every six months about the 30-year-old who owns four oh, houses. Oh, yeah, bought their own house. And then you realize that <laughs> they had rich parents who gave them the deposit and let them live at home for fucking 10 years yeah. after uni. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the rock story is a legitimate story. And I think that there is a real appeal in that mythology, which mm. is that if I can do it, anyone can do it. But I just don't think that that is the reality of the world. Like, I just think because some people have been able to overcome circumstances doesn't mean that other people, you know, that anyway. Like, I understand what you're saying about the idea of like, there is something in hard work doesn't always lead to success. And detaching those two ideas from each other, just because you worked hard on something doesn't mean that you deserve it. I, I Yeah, okay, I get that to a certain degree. There is some validity and sort of detaching yourself from that well maybe the lesson really is don't work hard just make sure your grandfather and your father or you know your parents are famous and successful before you that's just rely on some nepotism to get you in the door well yeah, enough successful they don't have to be like you know you just have to be kind of successful within the niche so like you could perhaps like you know, so, okay, so in podcasting, you're successful enough, like in a niche, right? Comedy podcasting, <laughs> oh, right? God, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but then, like, Iona goes into podcasting as well. She's, like, the second generation. And yeah. then Iona's kids, one of their kids, suddenly, like, uses their, like, the, be a third-generation podcaster. <laughs> The, sad, the saddest sentence ever. <laughs> you know, I'm from a family of podcasters. My grandfather was one of the original podcasters. 
<laughs> We're living in a cardboard box, box under a bridge somewhere. Yeah, he still does. He actually still does the show. You know that other old guy who limps over every week? Yeah, they're still doing it. <laughs> She's a blue chipper. Third generation podcast. <laughs> Um, do you think if you were if you were super successful, so say this late podcast turned into like the Joe Rogan style, like you know numbers, sure. and so suddenly there was like millions of dollars in the business and all those sort of things. So your life was like, I'm talking like big time change, not just yeah, tr- life transforming. Yeah, like suddenly fame. this is all you absolutely have to do. You're one of the most well known people in the industry. Do you think that that would change the way you raised your kid? Yes. A hundred percent. I think so. I just, I, I admire those people like, oh no, my kid's going to earn it. But once you actually have a kid, all you want to do is protect them and give them things. <laughs> like Jim and I aren't, you know, you know, we're not poor, but we're not wealthy, but that doesn't stop us wanting to buy her things. Like you just can't help it. I mean, you've got pets. <laughs> it's a very similar kind of idea where you just want to spoil them from time to time. And I think that, you know, the, the real challenge is going to be when she gets older and she starts, like we're buying for her now, but when she starts wanting things, being able to kind of navigate that, like, well, was this thing that she wants, is it a necessary purchase? Is it, is it a luxury? Is it something that she's, you know, going to get benefit from, you know? It's it's like that um, you know the Simpsons joke about you know Bart just put your karate outfit you know in the cupboard with your keyboard and all the other stuff that you thought you're going to be into. So I think if you had that much wealth, like I often think about the Hemsworths kids, Chris Hemsworths kids, you know they're living in this like like what compound in Byron Bay. And, you know, Uncle Matt Damon's coming around and, you know, they go out for a surf on the weekend and then probably take a private jet around to Disneyland and all this kind of stuff. Like, do you shield those kids? Like, from what I understand, the, the, the Hemsworth brothers did not have that life. You know, they had a pretty modest, typical middle-class Australian upbringing. But his kids aren't going to have that. I mean, what, do you, what, what are the options? You can't not take them on the private jet. You can't not have them living on the compound. I think that part of what, I mean, that's probably not a bad example, the Hemsworths, right? Because they are super famous and super rich. And they live, but they do live kind of, they don't live in a major city. Like the kids can go to the beach and to like a local school and things like that. Like they live in a celebrity town, but not like a a big city. Like, you know, they're not in LA. They're not where the industry is. Like, so. It's not New York. Well, I just imagine their time at home could probably be very separate from their work, right? Yeah. Like, you know, so it's not like you're living in Hollywood and going to Hollywood parties and doing those sort of things. Yeah, Uncle Matt Damon's coming over, but you're not like in a place where Uncle Leonardo's also there and Uncle Ben and, you know, right? Well, but I, I guess it's like, I mean, growing up, because, you know, at the school I went to, there's a lot of wealthy kids. And I remember going around to friends of mine's houses whose parents were wealthy. And, like, it was different. Like, I, I immediately saw, you know, yeah. on, you know, for, for you know, the middle of the year, they would go on holiday to, like, Aspen or something like that, where, you know, I'd go to Point Lonsdale. I'd have to take the bus <laughs> to Point Lonsdale, you know, something like that. And so I think there is – and I, the kids that I went to school with, the rich ones, they definitely – there's a diff- they were different people. Like they just had a different experience of life. Do you think if you had heaps of money, you would start doing rich people things or would you just do the things you do now but just like not have to worry about money? 
but or would you start going to Aspen? Because you're not like it's not like you've ever expressed to me that some big dream of yours is to go to Aspen. Would you suddenly just be like, well, I guess I'm super rich. This is what I'm gonna do. I remember listening to an interview with that dude who the the Facebook the guy who did the artwork for Facebook's office and took shares in the company and he went from being a broke graffiti artist to being like a worth half a billion dollars in the space of a couple of years and him discussing going from being like a scape rat kind of graffiti artist to being you know multi multi millionaire was that your um perspective on the world changes so dramatically that you cannot hang out with normal people he said suddenly you know he had a gambling addiction and so he'd fly into las vegas and he's like the casinos would send him a stretch limo he'd be set up in a penthouse suite where there would be women and whatever drugs and whatever booze he wanted laid out he'd be given ten thousand dollars credit to start his gambling and he's like he can't talk to his mates that the skate park about that <laughs> you know, they're, they're sort of like you know uh, scrambling about in their ashtray in their car trying to work out if they can buy some booze and he's like you know i guess that is how much money you have because if i was ever in a scenario where i was like in a penthouse in las vegas and there was women everywhere and drugs and booze and they gave me ten thousand dollars to start off for the night I would be like, maybe I'm not very good at gambling. <laughs> maybe maybe I should take all this as a sign that I probably should walk out of here right now. But I guess he had so much money that like... Well, that's what he said. Even the idea that he had a gambling addiction is like he, a, a weird point because like he would have had so much money that like you could, almost couldn't lose it. That's exactly what he said. Like, you know, he, he was making so much interest. Like if you put 400 million of that, you know, into high interest savings account buy shares or whatever and you just have a hundred million of spending money occasionally when he's gambling he's going to win some of that back and then he loses it and then he gets it back and meanwhile he's you know he's made like you know compound interest on all his investments and and savings so you know he said that not only did his inability to talk to his friends change but then the way they treated him changed as well all of a sudden Everyone's hitting um, up for loans or, you know, he was hearing from people he'd never heard from before. I think I, you know what though? I mean, maybe this is unsustainable, but I actually think that I would just give everyone the money they asked for. I think like if you had that much money, like if I had like Facebook money, I've got like okay. f- 500 million, like there's no way. Like I, I think even in my life now, if I like had $500 million, there's no way that I would like give away more than like a hundred million of it total in people coming to me asking for money. What's the, um, how close a, a friend do they have to be to you? So like you've got your inner circle, your family, of course, inner, yeah. cir- inner circle would, let's just say the, that's like 20 people. And then you've probably got another 50 outside of that. So that's like what, 70, let's say a, we'll make it a nice round hundred. Each okay. one of those people wants a million to two million dollars? Are you comfortable with that? Would you give away two hundred million? Still have three hundred in the no, bank. I mean, a million seems fucking heaps. You're being greedy <laughs> if you need more than a million fucking dollars. This is free money. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I'm gonna give it to you. Don't be fucking greedy. Like, ask for less. Be polite. I can see. I'm you, about you, to give you a million dollars. I could like otherwise. Tell your story. Walking about. I, I could see we're hanging out. You hand me the check. I look at it, I just look at it, I nod, and I'm like, eh, I mean, a million's good, Will, but uh, I was kind of hoping to get, get Iona her own yacht. 
I'm, you know, she plays her cards right. I, I, I heard I might get a million, but I'm not giving you more than a million. A million is my limit. Are you giving a million per person or a million per couple? Because you've got a lot of friends at, who are couples. At my dis- at my discretion. Um, and do the people have to solicit? Like, how how are you? T- are you announcing it, or is this is this no, like an informal? Absolutely not announcing it. I'm literally just if someone hits me up because people are not. I think imagine would just hit you up like, hey man. Like, you know, I've had this really hard time with blah, blah, blah. I can't pay my mortgage. Like, you know, I'm $500,000 in debt. And I would be like, mate, you don't need to tell anybody about this. Like, this never happened. But here's a million dollars. Buy yourself something pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're obviously going to have charities hitting you up as well. So how do you prioritize charities and personal relationships? Um, another 100 million for charities. Not so, 100 million. 100 million for friends and family and 100 million for charities. Okay, so you're keeping so what's your what are you keeping in the bank? Like and then out of 500 going million. forward on any money that I earn, like interest I earn on my pre-existing money, 90% of it goes to charity. Okay. So initially I'm given 100 million immediately to charity and then of the interest that I earn on my 300 million that I'm like investing or whatever, 90% of everything that I earn goes to charity. And I just like the 10 the 10% is just my, you know, for me. And uh, at what point are you launching yourself into outer space? <laughs> when is that? <laughs> when does that come into the equation? I'm doing the podcast from outer space. <laughs> oh my god, a zero gravity toe fob. I feel like I feel like this is something we've dis- discussed before. I don't know why. But the idea that it's now possible. If we could just get the Patreon numbers up, <laughs> we could get ourselves on a ship with Branto or Bezo. <laughs> to be the first podcasters in space. Well, that would be good marketing. Um, we're not the first podcasters in space, but we are going to be podcasters on stage, Will. Oh, uh, good, little good uh, segue. Uh, this November. This 347 November, episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we are taking part in the Great Australian Podcast Festival, which, fingers crossed, is still happening uh, in Melbourne at the Palais Theatre. Um, uh, I've been emailing with John Deeks this week. He's very, very careful to get back on stage he's going to dust off the tux so we've got Dixie definitely he's locked in and uh, some other great guests still working out what the hell it's going to be <laughs> I mean I feel like Look, I've, I've got time to think about it it's one of those it. things where please buy a ticket yeah. um, because you know obviously if people buy tickets there's greater incentive to be able to make it all happen we understand the times we live in and how hard it is to be certain about something happening we hope this is going to happen it's Far enough away that, you know, there is a good chance that perhaps we'll be in a better situation and we can actually do this thing. If so, it's going to be the, like, I won't have been on stage for like, you know, five months. Like, you know, we haven't done one of these shows for four years. Yeah. What I would say is it's going to be fun. We will do something, we'll do something really cool and really fun and it'll be a, a good old time so please come and say it i haven't done actually anything live in two years because uh normally we also do a grand final episode of two guys one cup but last year obviously the pandemic happened so we didn't do that and then the year before iona was born just before the the grand final and so i didn't do that so i am way rusty so at the very least come and watch me fumble about on stage it'll be great yeah it'll be, but it will be i guarantee it'll be a great time so buy a ticket to the great australian podcast festival comes out 
just got a few bits of mail this week, Will. Nothing too much. Um, if you want to send us some mail, you, some mail, you can do that at tofop.com. And while you're there, check out some of our other great podcasts. Uh, Will does one called Willosophy, and you've had a couple of cracking guests the last two weeks in a row. Who have they been? Yeah, uh, Vic Zerps last week. Um, highly recommend people checking that one out. She's fantastic from... Uh, Freudian nip and um, the contact Tracy's people would probably best know uh, Vic is one of the contact Tracy's. I did a philosophy with Jenna, who's the other contact Tracy uh, on the weekend, which will come out in you know a few weeks. But I did uh, tell a story on that of uh, my friend seeing them in a nop shop. Uh, I, actually, maybe I did name you. I was going to say I didn't name you, but I think I did name you. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, my God. <laughs> so, but and Mark Humphreys, who is a brilliant uh, comedy satirist. And an excellent guest uh, on the podcast and like a total, absolute um, uh, straighty 180. And we have some really fun times talking about uh, when he tries to talk about being offered drugs. Tablets. It's one, <laughs> one of the funniest like moments I've ever had on the podcast. So check that out. And I'm Fofop this week. Cam and Alexi from the uh, Finding Drago uh, Finding podcast. Desperado. Total Reboot. Um, that. Uh, always fun when Cam and Alexi are on Fofop so that will be that's the Fofop episode this week and of course Two Guys One Cup is every Thursday Uh, it's been a really fun year people seem to be loving it I am hating football Will's having a great time Two Guys One Cup exactly like Tofop with slightly more football chat and I mean slightly Uh, Will I want to start with a bit of spam because this just made me laugh Uh, this is from August August (laughs) first name August last name August Oh, yeah. Hi. Our medical grade toenail clippers is the safest and especially recommended for those with troubles with winding nails, hard nails, two nails, nail cracks, deep nails, thickened nails, etc. Get yours at the podiatrist.online. Best wishes, August. <laughs> well, thank you, August, August, for reaching out in August. <laughs> do, you think, uh, do you think we got sent that because of uh, This Is Toe, the episode where it was just a, a giant toe is the artwork? 100%. This is toe-related spam. We have. We've unlocked some sort of fucking toe algorithm and we're getting toe spam. Toe spam. That's my other new metal band. Um, all right. This is from... I won't click. Here we go. Uh, this is from Simon who has a question about the intro music. Maybe this is more a question for Podcast Mike. Hey, guys, what's the go with the podcast intro music going at half speed? Cheers, Simon. Um, Simon, I normally will check the episode each week just to make sure there's no um, errors and stuff. I haven't heard the music going at half speed, but are you aware that on most podcast apps it gives you the option of changing the speed of the podcast. I believe maybe what's happened is you've bumped the speed and you've accidentally listened to Tofop at half speed. Would you agree, Will, that's probably what's happened? I mean, look, if it were me, that's what I would have done. <laughs> would, you have, would you have emailed the podcast and complained? <laughs> Absolutely not. I would have assumed it was me. And I had done something wrong, and I would have eventually worked it out. Our last bit of mail is from Ryan. He says, hey, guys, I'm a bit behind on episodes and catching up today. I just got through 345. This is Toe. Just a quick follow-up to the comments about dentists specifically. 
and Charlie's dad rage quitting and going to his office to throttle a pillow, <laughs> which if you haven't heard the episode is not as sus as it sounds. <laughs> My wife is a dental assistant and has worked with many dentists over the far past few years. Certainly there are dentists out there that don't enjoy the job and are miserable lectures, but a lot of the mental damage comes from being told day in and day out that I, and I quote, I hate the dentist. <laughs> Imagine going to work every single day and being told every single day that people hate you and don't want to be there. That would grind on anyone. Cheers, Ryan. Well, make a good point. It is, it is a, an excellent point. And I am one of those people because yeah. I hate the dentist. <laughs> Although I had a really great dentist experience actually this last week, I will say this. Um, so on, I've got a couple of temporary crowns in because um, – I had some crowns made and they are in the dentists at, in Melbourne. They were meant to go in 15 months ago, but something happened, Charlie. And I haven't been able to make it back to Melbourne to get my teeth in. So the temporary crowns that were meant to be there for like no more than six weeks have been there for like 16 months and they eventually fell out. And so I'm in the middle of a lockdown it's like Thursday night. I'm like, I don't know what the deal is, whether I'm going to be able to get into the dentist. Like, because, you know, they're obviously, there's going to be crowns go in there. It's quite, you know, kind of sensitive, heat or cold sensitive, like, you know, with no teeth in there. Anyway, rang up this dentist that I used to go to that I haven't been to in years because I haven't been living in the city, but like I used to go to regularly. And they got me in. I went in. It was like such a covid safe and then like cruisy experience they were like playing back to the future on the big screen above me i didn't even need to get like an injection or anything there was no drilling and like it was i did actually compliment them a lot because a i was really happy that they got me in but b they had i'd gone from what i thought was going to be this horrible situation to like oh everything's sweet and i was just quite happy about that and i was paying them a lot of compliments so ordinarily i am a i hate the dentist person but my most recent dentist dentist experience i was very um complimentary to them would you say that dentists are the rowdy roddy piper of the medical profession just everyone hates them it's that devil's bargain you've got to separate they don't hate the player hate the game you hate having bad teeth you hate having your teeth drilled and repaired you don't hate the yeah. dentist. This is a medical practitioner who's trying to help you yeah. out. We don't want dentists to have to start wearing Kevlar lined gowns because people are trying to stab them. Stab them with one of those electric <laughs> teeth drills. How do you like it now, buddy? I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs> <laughs>